0: Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Kathy Svetina. Kathy is the founder of Newcastle Finance, a company offering fractional CFO services to women-owned small businesses. She helps business owners as a financial problem solver to get clear on their numbers and their financial strategy so they feel confident they're making good decisions that will result in a thriving business. Welcome to the podcast, Kathy. I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Ursula. I'm really excited to talk to you. So you have said that your goal is to help more women get into the C-suite by building their own companies. So why is that important to you?
1: You know, I get asked that quite a lot and the reason for it is first of all I was I was in a corporate environment for 14 years and and I was in finance and as you can imagine finance is a very male dominated world. Mm-hmm. And there was not a lot of women in in there. Um, I mean, there have been so many times when I was actually the only woman at the table and right. and I, I'm the only one bringing the perspective of, you know, of, a, of a woman into this mm-hmm. conversation. So yeah. it really bothered me. That's one thing that really bothered me. And what really bothered me too is that I saw as, as high as you go, there's not a lot of women in the management in the higher management positions. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the structure of the CEOs, there's only about 7% of women that are in those positions in the right. US. Yeah. And and that's a problem. And the problem with that is, is because if women are making 70 to 80% of purchasing decisions, and if they're not included in those conversations when it comes to making products, when it comes to making services, how much are we actually missing on the innovation right. that could be produced because of the input that women are not having on, in those conversations? So, um, for example, you know, Sarah Blakely is kind of like a poster child for this. Right. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> when 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 she first started Spanx, um, she had a really hard time explaining why the market actually needs this type of product right. because all the people who were making
0: decisions in a manufacturing were men. Yeah. So and, and if yeah, not wearing ahead. those kinds of garments, so. Yes,
1: exactly. And, and it's really hard to explain the type of um, issues that women have and the needs that the sort of for the service and the products that, that women have if, if the decision-makers maker, are men. So what she ended up, you know, by the strike of luck, the guy that she ended up talking to had two daughters Mm. who he talked to about it. And, and they said, yeah, this actually makes sense. This is a great product and that's how he helped her. And that's how she started it. But um, you know, if, if, I I wonder if women were in those positions, how much easier it would be for her to get um, to
0: get someone to help her. Right. And her and other women who have innovative ideas that could be on the market as well. So What do you think it contributes when more women are in that position? I mean, beyond, you know, understanding the market better and and giving a broader perspective, do you think it has kind of broader implications?
1: I think it does is it brings a certain balance to the leadership. And, you know, it's just it doesn't make sense that women are, you know, we're 50 percent of the population and we're getting we have a lot more college degrees now where we have, you know, again, I think we're like at 52% college educated people are women. It's like, why are we not included in those types of conversations? So it's it's not only about the diversity and economic impact, but it's also how what type of conversations we have when it comes to leadership. I mean, women bring a certain leadership um, in insight into the company that men just wouldn't have so when you it's a lot more i would say broader perspective than you would just have with just men in the in the leadership positions
0: yeah and there's so much research now that companies with diverse perspectives whether it's women or uh, folks of different races and people of color included that those companies do better and particularly there's research about women and how it actually increases revenue and all those bottom line things. It's kind of still amazes me that uh, that hasn't been embraced, but of course it's a lot more complicated than that. So yeah, yeah, it is. yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a company that provides fractional CFO services. And I'd really like to understand the difference between a CFO versus financial advice from your accountant or a financial planner. And how does having like a CFO level person help women entrepreneurs build their businesses?
1: The way how I explain, and, and I get asked that a lot too, what's the difference between an accountant, bookkeeper, and a CFO? Are, you know These yeah. are just numbers people. How many numbers people do I need <laughs> in my company, right? <laughs> right. right. Um, so the way how I like to explain it, if you think about it, <clears throat> accountants and bookkeepers are concerned about the past of your business Uh, they record what happens so if you get a bill if the vendor pay if uh, if the customer pays you so they're responsible for the transactional piece of your business making sure that the books are done correctly that you're counting everything properly that everything ticks and ties Um, that's what the accountants are there for that is their job um, so they're concerned about the past and you know the hmm. re- reporting the past, meaning how how did the, all those transactions look like on your profit and loss statement, on your income statement, on your balance sheet. So that's what they're concerned with, making sure that those numbers that you have in that the, that they're correct and accurate. When it comes to the CFO, however, that's the person that's concerned about the future of your business and the overall strategy of your business. So for example, the CFO would look at those numbers and would try to figure out how do we use those numbers that you have right now, the past, the past is the past, the past happened, but how do you use that to drive your business forward, mm. to figure out where do you wanna be in you know, six months, 12 months, three years, five years down the road and how do we bridge that gap between where you are right now to where you want to be? What needs to happen on a greater scale? And not only what needs to happen in your business, but also looking at the whole ecosystem of what's happening in your industry, what's happening in um, in your competitors, what's happening in the world, in the economic world, um, um, in economic sphere so that they can actually translate all of that into your business and how you can move forward and drive it. Okay.
0: So it's like other C-level uh, executives in the sense that there's a strategic perspective there.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And a fractional CFO, that's exactly what it means. It's um, instead of being a full-time cfo in your business because small businesses uh, don't don't need a cfo on a full-time level unless Mm -hmm. they you know get into like 50 20 million dollars but they do still need that type of direction and the fractional cfo is there for a fraction of the time for part of the time in Mm -hmm. your business
0: yeah yeah which is a great invention. whoever first did that, I don't know how many years ago, long time, but still it's brilliant um because it's it's the kind of role that seems to lend itself to uh being an, there in a on a part time basis, a fractional basis, so yeah. Can you give us a? I'm just really wanting to drive this um, point home about the value of a CFO perspective. Is there an example you could provide us with in in terms of, you know, this is what the person was doing before. This is what happened when we came in and provided that CFO level role. Yeah, sure. A lot of the companies that I
1: that I talk to actually come to me because they do realize that they they have an accountant and it's for them where they want to grow. And usually by the time they come to me, they're already or a couple of million dollar company is Mm -hmm. um, it's just not sustainable for them to just kind of fly at the edge of their seat, so to speak. And they need a lot more direction. They need a lot more um, someone to actually be a partner in their business. So when I come into the company, it's, we take a look at, you know, their business model. We take a look at their financials and we take a look at the goals. And usually a lot of the times what they also are are thinking about, and this, this is, a, is a great piece for the fractional CFOs too, is they start thinking about what do I really want to do with the business? And especially if you want to sell it down the road three, mm-hmm. five years from now, you have to start looking at your financials more from a perspective of what is really attractive to the buyer. Right. For example, you know, are there certain processes that you have to put in? How is your um, balance sheet and PL in- income statement going to look like to the potential buyer? And how do we get it to a point where you're going to get the most um, out of this transaction when you actually sell it? So right. th- those are the type of things when when people come to me and they start asking me these questions, like, how do we prepare ourselves for this, you know, um, <clears throat> for the seller down the road in the future in five years. Okay,
0: and I'm I'm guessing too that you are in a good position to be able to advise on how you manage growth strategies because I I think people think that some companies just have this relentless growth trajectory and that everything kind of falls into place, but it's quite challenging to grow a business because you're increasing expenses at the same time. So managing that balance is not an easy thing. Oh,
1: yes, for sure. Um, when it comes to growth, it's really, and and that's where I, I like to tell people, when you grow, you have to look at the whole picture. It's not just the revenue that's growing. What's also growing is your expenses with it too. So for example, are you going to need more people because now you have all this business that you need to support? Um, Are you going to need more inventory if you're an inventory uh, company, for example, like an e-commerce company? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's not just the money that's coming in. It's also you need to be able to support that as well. And the other pieces too, which people forget about, if you are getting more people in your company if you're hiring more people you're also going to have to manage those as well so do you need to hire managers Mm -hmm. and and again it's um a fractional hr person would be able to help you with how do you actually manage these people what type of compensation plan you put them on are you Mm going to have a health insurance are you going to have bonuses these are all the questions to think when you actually growing a company and and it's not just growing a company you also have to grow it in a healthy and sustainable way so that you know it's not like a um house of cards when it all starts like tumbling down when it gets really high
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well that's a great description yeah well um you focus mainly on and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, on small business, is that right? Like smaller companies?
1: Yeah, small so the medium? companies that, that I work with um, usually have started already, they have a sales of about at least a million dollars. So mm-hmm. the, the, the companies that I work with are between a million and $10 million in sales. Those are the ones okay. that I really enjoy working with.
0: Okay. And so what kinds of lessons can companies of that size gain from how Fortune 500 companies manage their finances. I, I know that you're really keen on sustainability, and of course, finances are a big part of that. But are there things that we can learn from companies that are much bigger?
1: Yes, there's actually a lot, and and people tell me, you know, there's a big companies. What you know, they 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 have all these millions that they're making. What do they really know about small business? There's nothing right. applicable, yeah. but it really is, and and the way how I translate into the small business finances is actually putting the structure together that really helps businesses as, as they're growing in a you know, healthy and sustainable way. So we already talked about you know accountants and, and how important it is to have the numbers um, in, in a timely and accurate basis, right? But that is, and, and I like to think about the finances in, a, in an analogy of a house. So when you think about a house for it to be standing and to stand the, you know, the, the pieces of time is what do you really need for that? And, and, and the one piece that is really important is the foundation.
0: Mm-hmm. So the
1: foundation is your accounting work. That is your bookkeeping, making sure that the numbers that you're putting in, that they're correct, that they're accurate, that they're timely, that everything is reconciled, right? But that's unfortunately when a lot of the small businesses, they have that foundation, but they don't think about the other pieces of the structure of that house. Hmm. And, there, and, there's, and there are four other pieces to it that they forget. So what, with, with the house, you also have to have these walls that keep the house together for standing, mm-hmm. right? right? So that is um, the financial analysis. Which means that you take all those numbers that you put in the foundation and you take a look at it really from a perspective of what can I learn from it? What type of insights can I get from? What are some of the trends that I see that I'm seeing? How are my um, clients, for example, paying me, right? Are they, are, they pay, are they starting to pay late? So that is something that you should be really looking at. Um, is there going to be a problem down the line, down the future? Um, because that's going to really affect your cash flow in, in the future. So those are the type of the things that you look at when you look at your uh, finances and when you look at the financial analysis. And then the third piece is the what I like to call the interior design of the house, which are your financial systems and processes, mm-hmm. meaning are they really supporting your business in a way that you can actually make decisions? So just like in a house, you are not going to put a bathtub in the middle of your kitchen,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: right. <laughs> because it just doesn't make sense. Right. It are the processes in the system that you're currently using, are they actually making sense for your business? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, is the accounting system that you're right now using, is is it supporting you to make decisions, or do you actually have to? Go back and take a look at it. What is something that it's going to be supporting you better? Hmm. And then the the other piece is when you think about this house, what is it that protects it, right? And that's that's the roof, and that's where your financial planning comes in, and that is that strategic piece that we were talking about at the beginning is taking a look at your business from a perspective of. Where am I going to be not just, you know, three, six months down the road, but that year, three years, five years? And what is my exit strategy? Taking the time to really think about not just working day to day in in the business, but actually working on the business from a 10,000 foot view and taking a look at where do I really want to be? Where do I see this business going? And how does the, you know, the economy, how do the competitors tie into all of that.
0: Right. And that refers to something that I know you're keen on, and I'm with you on this, is looking at the the lens of long-term growth versus fast cash. I think so many people, especially in the online realm, there's been such a flood of people talking about, you know, follow my six steps to six figures or seven steps to seven figures. And people believe that in order to grow and market their business, they have to follow somebody's formula. And um, it really gets problematic because no business is the same. Every business has unique elements to it. And because I think people are afraid to wander outside of these templates, these sort of maps that that are uh, uh, provided, that it's it's really tough to build sustainability because you're trying to follow somebody else's map.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's, and I like to say that leave the cookie cutter approaches for the cookies. <laughs>
0: oh, that's good. I like that.
1: That that's where they belong. It, it's true. It's every business is different. And it you look at the business model. It's like, how do I what works for someone might not work for you, and that's where I get really kind of like riled up. Is when when I constantly see these ads, oh, make a six figure lunch or or you know five figure lunch in in, in a week. But the question is, you know, people, what does it really mean? Taking a step back, and what does it really mean? A six figure lunch, is that six figures in sales? Is that six yeah. figures in profit?
0: Right, big is difference. That
1: yeah, six figures in cash. I mean, w- what does it mean? And when you actually start peeling this onion into the layers, you see that six figures usually means sales, but the problem with it is to get to you know twenty thousand dollars in sales, you have to spend nineteen thousand five hundred in ads and all the other stuff that you have to do. And what are you really left off? Five hundred dollars in profit? I mean, it's it it's deceiving.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, another uh, related to what you were mentioning about a business model is that um a subscription based business model um, that can be challenging to manage. Tell us about what how that kind of influences cash flow because on first glance it seems like oh okay subscription model would work well because you're getting a steady income each month from each of these people but it it kind of well i'll let you expand on that i'm curious what your perspective is
1: yeah so essentially subscription models are where someone pays a monthly fee for um let's say you have a course and, and and you instead of um Offering it at a one-time um, payment, people actually pay throughout the you know 12 months, six months, or, or whatever you, you say, which actually sounds great, right? I mean, you you get that steady cash flow, and but the problem with that people don't understand a lot of times is that now you have to manage those payments because what happens if let's say a customer's uh, credit card declines? Hmm. How how are you gonna support that? How are you gonna find those? Um, and, and the nice thing about it is that right now they have tools that, that are able to help you with that, but again, you have to pay for it, you have to subscribe for it and 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 really think about, you know, how do I make sure that my customers, they sign up for it, they pay for it two, three months. But then all the, the rest of the nine months, something happens and they actually fall off this revenue that I'm generating. How do I make sure that I actually find out that A, people are f- fell off and B, follow up. So then make sure that you, you're getting paid for it. Right? right. And, and the subscription model is great, but again, people don't really think about it in those terms that it, it creates this back office problem that mm. now you have to fix. Right. Yeah. Makes sense.
0: Well, I, I wonder about your, uh, your own business model in the sense of uh, is, is a fractional CFO arrangement, typically a kind of retainer thing? Cause that sounds a bit like a subscription model. So I'm, I'm curious how that works in your business.
1: Yeah. And it does actually so i i have two models so to speak one is advisory where people come in and and just ask certain questions that's usually for because i work with a lot of startups and and founders they're starting to get things up to speed and they have questions regarding how do i make sure that you know um my financials are done correctly for my investors um also, how do I make sure that I have all the financial processes in place when I do get an investment? So I do advise right. them on that. So that's the advisory portion. And that's sort of like a project one-time thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like you said, and that's correct, that's the retainer, the monthly support, which is that um, I'm actually in the business with a business owner mm-hmm. and we work on um, on the business long term. So, you know, I, I usually start with my my first engagement is for six months because I do need we do need the time to get business up to speed and to actually see the results happening. And sure. then, you know, I have engagements after that or 12 month uh, contracts. So it it is a it is a longer engagement. And that's how I usually work.
0: Yeah. Mm, OK. Uh, do you think that. Uh, going back to what we started with, which is uh, supporting women to reach C-suite level through their own businesses. Do you think women entrepreneurs have different challenges financially than men do?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think with women, w- what I'm seeing, it's it's a lot more emotional as well. So uh, w- when I work with them, it's sometimes I, I, I not, I'm just not a CFO. I'm also a therapist as well. That's how it feels (laughs) like. But I mean, that's, that's the enjoyable part of it, too, because I'm able to help them through, for example, pricing pricing is a is a big, big issue, Mm -hmm. because it seems like women generally have a hard time pricing their services or their products in a way that is not, I would say like diminishing what they're actually doing yeah. um, and actually taking a look at r- not from a perspective, what would I pay for it, but what would the market pay for it? How right. does the market actually looking, how is the market look, looking at my services or, or my products and how do I price it for the market versus of what am I willing to pay for it? Yeah, which comes with a lot of emotional baggage of you know, is it worth it? Would I pay for it? Um, am I good enough? and and that's where I think women have a harder challenge when it comes to
0: um, the financials of their company. Mm-hmm. So recognizing the own val- the actual value of what they're offering.
1: Yes, yeah. and, and yeah. pricing is a really fascinating fascinating topic, and I love talking about pricing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of coaching around pricing and it's it's a tough one because especially when you're starting out um even if you go to the research effort and you know identify where you might position in the market pricing is a lot more complicated than that. It's not just about um what will the market bear. It's also how what can you uh with confidence ask for? And, and really embrace yourself because that energy of doing that makes a difference in how you're presenting yourself. Do you, would you agree? That's, that's my perspective.
1: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the pricing is also positioning on the market as well. Um, it's where your brand comes in. It's how mm-hmm. do you want to be perceived? And does that perception is it reflected in the pricing as well? Right. So, you know, if you wanna be perceived that let's say Macy's of the world, but you have Walmart prices, that's not going to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really going to affect your business as well is because, and, and people, and, and it's interesting actually in the pricing psychologies too, because people always go, well, what if I'm, I'm not making much sales is because I'm priced too high? But the interesting question is, what if you're not making sales because you're priced too
0: low? Yeah, right. Yeah, people see there's a disconnect between the brand you're trying to talk about in your marketing and the price. And when there's a dissonance like that, that that makes a difference in people's buying decisions. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, um, I know that you really personally have this view about working to live rather than Living to work, so avoiding overwork and burnout. and um, how do you manage your own business so that you're you're working to live? and And a related thing that maybe we can get into as well is how do you deal with the question of growth when there's growth opportunity versus thoughtful sizing is what I call it, where you're really thinking about what size business do I actually want to run?
1: Yeah. And and this is something that I've been thinking about for my own business too. And for me, what really, what really stuck out was I made a conscious decision at the beginning when I started my business that I want to support my lifestyle with it in terms of, I don't want to grow. And, you know, I, I could easily grow into, let's say, you know, 50, 60 clients and have um, and employ people and do all that. It, mm-hmm. it, it's doable. But the question is, I, I don't really want that. What I want is a boutique style business. And I made a conscious decision to do that, to only work with a handful of clients that I really enjoy, that I can really help, that I can really help them grow their business. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's my business side. On the other side, I also want to help the most people that I can and that's where you know podcasting and content and and presentations come in, so that people know that these are the type of services out there and who to go to. So it might be that I'm not helping them personally, but I'm still helping them in a way that they're getting that information that they need to you know have that healthy and sustainable business and where to go to get that um to to get that type of help. So for me, it was more of a decision of what do I really? want my life to look like. And, you know, being in the corporate environment, I was working sometimes crazy amounts of hours. Yeah. yeah. And I just didn't want that in my own business.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Your clarity is really compelling. It's really, uh, it's an important decision to consider and make. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it's also one that I think... Once you start and you start seeing the demand and people start asking and and it's it's really hard to say no, because yeah. if you don't have that conviction of what is my guiding light, I guess, guiding post where do I really want my business and my life to be? And if you kind of, I guess, deviate from that, you might actually find yourself kind of like floating out there without you know just where it takes you. So it's good to have mm. that what do I really want and how do I want my life to look like, especially yeah. if you're a small business owner because you know your business
0: and you are just so intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kathy, I'm interested to explore the issue of leadership and I'm I'm always interested in impactful leadership. So that's kind of what I that's what I call leadership that's based around desire to contribute and, and make a difference, change things for the better. And in your role as a fractional CFO, you're in a leadership position in companies. And how is that to manage kind of fractional leadership in the sense that you're, you're not there full-time, you're there part-time? How, how do you think about leadership in that situation?
1: That's a great question. Um, I mean, leadership for me is, in, in that sense, you know, when you're a factional person, you're there only for a fraction of the time. So I think it's mm-hmm. really important to work with people that are susceptible to, to working with you, to that type of leadership, because, you know, you can't, and I always say you can't control people, you know. Sure. You can, you can take the horse to the water, but you can make him drink it. So it's, it's more, it's more of a gentle, like persuasion and, and leading people to, Hey, this is what we can do. And this is how we can solve the issues, but you can't really have them do it unless they want it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I take the perspective is what I'm also very careful is that the clients that I take on. Are the people who really, really want change and they really want to take the business forward because I'm not there to tell them what to what to do, I'm there to guide them through it. And if they're not perceptible to that guidance, then it's just not going to work. And that's how I look at the leadership is like in, in my role is
0: the people have to
1: be willing to be guided
0: versus me telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. They have to have some inner motivation to uh, be part of building that in a company.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. Well, and, and it is related to that is, uh, uh, of, of course, company culture. Do you feel like, any, again, in a fractional role that you have any role to play in helping to build and develop culture, especially since you're involved with a lot of startups?
1: I do in terms of when it comes to the type of, you know, people that they hire, I do give them that perspective. I'm not concerned. I, I, I am concerned with the culture, that the culture is right. And if I see issues, um, I will tell them. However, it's not something that I actually build that is, you know, on the HR side or or their operational person. Mm-hmm. Um but I do get involved in terms that, that they make sure that they have the right people in places, not just in right skills, but also in the right, um, that they have the right
0: mindset. Right, yeah, very important, yeah. Well, Kathy, I always uh, wrap up these interviews with some questions about impact. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first question is, What's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact?
1: I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that it does not have to be big. Mm. Uh, and when people think about the impact, is oh, I saved the company, you know, $10 million, or we signed up this big client. But it's impact comes in small pieces and bites and bits and pieces. And it could be just, you know, having an impact on someone because, you know, you you helped them with something when they had a bad day, or um, you took the time to actually listen to your employee, or you, you just, you know, you made someone's world a little better for that day because mm-hmm. you took the time to interact with them. So yeah, it's not big things. It's the
0: small things that really accumulate. I agree. I think that's so important to recognize because there's a lot of uh, pressure, I think, to come up with some dramatic, grand vision for every aspect of impact. And so much of it is just day to day. How do you show up? And what effect do you have? So thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. The second question in the rapid round is What's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: Consistency. Mm. Um, I, I think it's, and it's again, it's like small things. It could be a small thing, but it just adds up over the weeks, over the months, just showing up and consistently performing something. And then you see results. It's because. It's it's kind of like, you know, when when you have a river and a rock, it's like you cannot see the dents from a day to day, but after after months and years of of the river going through the rock, you can actually start seeing the channels and it's the consistency
0: that's really doing that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, the last question in the rapid round is, what's one insider piece of advice that you'd Uh, share with another business owner who's asking how can I have more impact how can I contribute more
1: I would say taking the time to do self-reflection and thinking what is it really how you want to show up um, in in the world and how you want to show up for your employees how you want to show up for for your company and for yourself and taking that time, what is it really important to you and what are your values? And once you're, you're doing things that really reflect your values, I think that's when you see the most impact.
0: Hmm. I I absolutely agree with you. Thank you for bringing that out. And Kathy, thank you so much for sharing your uh, perspectives on how uh, CFO could and does really influence strategy and supports growth and uh, really helps a growing company to uh, understand the financial issues that are part of that foundation you talked about. So thank you for sharing all of that with us today. Thank you
1: so much for having me on, Ursula. That was such a pleasure. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? So you can either find me on newcastlefinance.us, that's my website, Mm -hmm. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn under Kathy Svetina. I'm the only one in there. (laughs) Okay,
0: great. Well, thank you, Kathy. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment one-on-one with me, 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw people.